Welcome to another episode of We Don't Die, where my goal is to give you evidence that although our bodies will disappear, we survive physical death. When we aren't afraid of death, we are less afraid of life. From these episodes, I aim for all of us to take more risks in life, go after our dreams, have great relationships, and perhaps even some fun in the process. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. And today I'm very excited to introduce you to an amazing man. His name is Howard Storm. And I'll tell you a little bit about Howard. He was born in a suburb in Massachusetts. Pastor Howard Storm is a former art professor and chairman of the art department at the Northern Kentucky University. But he's best known as the author of the book, My Descent into Death, A Second Chance at Life, which is about his near-death experience. His book was originally published in the year 2000, but it was noticed by author Anne Rice and being supported by her, it was quickly acquired by Doubleday and it was republished as a hardcover book in 2005. Howard Storm is presently retired where he and his beautiful wife Marcia live happily married in Kentucky. Howard is now writing books and still maintains his passion for painting but now unlike his past he paints with a God state of mind which raises his paintings to a whole other level. On his website Pastor Storm shares a unique look at his paintings and the effect Jesus Christ has on his daily life and on his paintings. And I'll include this on my website, wedontdieradio.com, uh, but if you want to check it out while we're listening, howardstorm.com has some magnificent um, pictures of his paintings. So welcome to our show. Is Do I call you Pastor Storm or Howard? Howard would be great, Sandra. Thanks for having me. Well, you're welcome. Thank you so much, and thanks for the time. And I haven't been to Kentucky for years, but are you having a, a nice day today? Um, yeah, it's, we're, we're um, into the fall weather, so things have cooled off, so it's getting quite pleasant. Yeah, fall's my favorite time of the year, and I know it can get pretty hot yeah. in Kentucky in the summer. Well, if you don't <laughs> mind, tell us a little bit about yourself and why you believe we don't die. Well, I was um, raised as a child as a nominal Christian, and when I say nominal, um, all that meant was we went to, um, my family went to church on Sunday mm -hmm. much of the time, and when I was a teenager, um, I dropped out of the church along with my sisters. My parents didn't go that often, and um, they didn't seem too bothered by it, but there wasn't any... Um, practice of the faith in our household at all. So right. I had come to um, decide that the church was just a show that had no resemblance to the reality of my family life or the lives of the people that I knew. It just mm -hmm. seemed like a hypocritical um, act, a, a custom that people did, and easily um, gave up on. And so because of um, things that were going on in my family, dysfunctional family stuff and um, school and hormones and all that, I started to read philosophy on that and became a, um, very quickly became an existentialist, starting with Camus and then going into um, Jean-Paul Sartre and Martin Heidegger and all that. And this was all on my own because, of course, there weren't philosophy classes in school. But um, when I went to college, I, um, at the age of 17, I had a philosophy professor who was an atheist and confirmed um, what I had come to believe, that there was nothing, and when you die, you die. So hmm. as a college professor, um, I was very arrogant and thought I knew a lot more than I did, and all of my friends were of the same mind, so the people that I hung out with, which happened to be all um, professors and artists, right. I'll share the same um, viewpoint, right? Atheist, yeah. you know, understanding of the world, and um, the, the the basic idea was um, you had to live for as much um, pleasure as you could get out of life because life was short and sweet, and then it was over, and 
really um, didn't have any meaning. But we, of course, all had um, we all had reasons for living. One of them um, was we were terribly afraid of death. That was a big, big reason for living. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, you know, terrified of dying, and um, we all had our own reasons. Like mine was, I wanted to be a famous artist, and was struggling to, you know, have some. Um, success in my little world in the Midwest, which isn't much of an art world, but that was the world I was in. I was having, you know, winning some awards and prizes and honors and things. And at the university, um, doing well in my career. And there was uh, my family, and um, there was, um, you know, going out with my buddies mm-hmm. uh, and drinking and browsing and um, being very hedonistic, hmm. you know, um, and that was um, very comfortable in the culture that I grew up in, which was um, the 60s, 70s, 80s right. of America. So on June 1st, 1985, I was taking um, a group of students on an art tour of Europe, and we were on the last next to the last day of the art tour um, and at 11 o'clock in the morning on June 1st, 1985 my stomach perforated and that took me to the ground um, in terror because it was the most acute pain I'd ever experienced in my life and I had it just it just happened that bang wow. of course because of my lifestyle of heavy drinking and smoking and all that, Party, um, yeah, yeah it, it's no surprise that I had uh, created this situation. So, What country were you in, Howard? We, we were in Paris, France. Oh, you're in France, okay. Yeah. And so I was taken, a uh, doctor came to the hotel, knew exactly what was wrong, that I perforated my um, duodenum, small stomach, and was taken to an emergency room at Cochin Hospital, which is a major hospital in Paris, and they x-rayed me and took my medical history and confirmed what was wrong and told me that I had to have surgery um, immediately, hmm. that there was absolutely no time to waste, that it was um, operable, but if too much time went by, I would become septic and die. Doctors in the United States told me that my life expectancy was about five hours. Oh, wow. And that the situation is um, very similar to having a burst appendix. Okay. And so um, I was rushed to a surgical hospital, part of Kosha, and unbeknownst to myself, and I'm sure unbeknownst to the doctors in the emergency room, there was not a surgeon available at the surgical hospital because it was a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And so I was parked in a room and for the next 10 hours never saw a doctor. Oh my gosh. So what happened was um, I was given no uh, medication. Nobody took my blood pressure. Nobody took my temperature. I was just, I was parked and left alone. In excruciating pain. But, yes, because the um, there was no no one in that hospital to give any orders for anything. So um, consequently, nobody did anything. Right. Nobody um, knew what to do, and nobody would take the initiative to do anything. Um, so the pain that had dropped me to the ground, kicking and screaming, became um, much, much worse. And for hours, um, I felt that I was in a battle for my life, which the doctors in the United States um, said, well, actually, it's miraculous that you didn't succumb. Oh, sure. But I didn't. I was 38 years old, and um, other than this, it had been very strong and very healthy prior to it. And um, I, the last thing I wanted to do was die because, you know, I, I was just sort of getting my stride. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. things were going well. Um, I had a wife and two children and a house and a good a life. Cars, yeah. A career. Yeah. I mean, and I'd worked hard to achieve these things, and um, I wasn't ready to give it up. Anyhow. At 8.30 that night, 
um, a nurse came into the room. I, I, this had happened 11 in the morning. I was in Koshen by noon and at 8.30 that night. A nurse came in and said they'd been unable to locate a doctor and they would try and find one the next day, Sunday. When she told me that, um, I knew that it was, that was my death sentence. That there was no point in struggling to live anymore because it was um, very, very painful. Yeah. yeah. I knew I wasn't going to make it um, through the next day in the hopes that the doctor might show up <laughs> on Sunday. Right. And so um, my wife and I said our goodbyes, and I told her to tell my kids and my parents and my friends that I love them and we cried a lot. And was your wife on the trip with you, or is this over the phone? Yes. Okay. No. Yeah. And uh, so she sat in her chair, and I um, laid in the bed and um, stopped trying. It was very, very difficult to breathe, because every time I breathed, it aggravated the uh, pain mm-hmm. by moving my uh, diaphragm. So um, instead of trying desperately to keep breathing, I just stopped trying, and I went unconscious. I don't know how long I was unconscious, of course, but um, I woke from that unconsciousness and I was standing next to the bed feeling um, no pain and feeling remarkably uh, well. And as I began to examine myself, I realized that my senses were more heightened than they had ever been. so when people talk about having an out-of-body experience, I'm, I'm a little bit um, conflicted about that because I was very much in a body, but what I think I was bringing to this was my consciousness, my ego sense of who I was, mm-hmm. which was um, what I had been, but even more so. And as I looked around the room, I saw that in the um, bed that I had been in, that I'm standing next to, was a figure and a turned away from me and I said, I bent over that figure and looked at its face and to my horror, it looked like me. Right. I refused to accept the fact that that could be me because I knew that the figure in the bed was um, dead. Yes. And I, I would not acknowledge that I was dead and I tried to communicate with my wife who did not respond to me, which made me very angry because I couldn't understand why she wouldn't respond to me. And I tried to communicate with my roommate, um, who was a very kind Frenchman, and he didn't respond. And I was very agitated and upset and confused and scared. Mm-hmm. And I heard outside the room calling me by name, telling me to come with them. So I went over to the doorway of the room and I said, I'm sick, I need surgery. And they said, we're waiting for you. We know all about you. You know, it's not time to talk. You know, you've got to hurry and come with us. And I was quite surprised that they spoke in English and not in French because everybody in the French hospitals spoke French. Right. <laughs> but anyways, um, I, you know, I said, are, are you going to take me to the doctor? And they said, um, we, no, we don't have time for this. You know, we know, we understand your situation. It's time for you to come. So I thought that they were wouldn't take me to surgery, so I left the room and went with them into the shadowy hallway. And as we walked, um, I became aware that the hallway didn't have any um, distinction to it. It just was space. I mean, as we went along, I I became very... I couldn't see very well because it was um, getting darker and darker, but there were no walls, no ceiling, no windows, no stairs, just um, space that we were walking in. And they circled, they had, this group had circled around me and kept me going. And also I became aware as we went that the uh, group of people was getting larger and larger. Hmm. Um, over a long period of time, and, and I never felt any fatigue, which was also one of the, one of the many confusing things about this, because I just had the worst day of my life. Yes. And I'm still feeling great and not the least bit tired. And um, I'm now aware that we've walked into um, complete darkness and the people around me are getting um, more rude. And I said, I'm not going to go with you any further. And they said, 
um, you have to come. And I said, no. And so they started to push and pull at me. And so I fought with them. And I fought with um, all my strength and all my might to keep them off me. But now there were many of them. Because of the darkness, I can only um, guess by the, the voices and the touching that there were lots of them, maybe hundreds or more. Mm. And um, they started to uh, bite me and claw at me with their fingernails. And I was very aware that these were people. They weren't demons. They didn't have horns or tails. or mm -hmm. They were just people, but they were... Um, trying to uh, um, elicit terror from me, that they wanted that, and my sense of that is because they have nothing in them anymore, that they're devoid of anything, um, all as they um, can um, elicit anymore is pain and hopelessness and fear from um, each other and most especially from the new fish in their world, which was me. And eventually um, they had done enough to me that I was, um, and I, I don't ever talk about what they really did. Mm -hmm. That was just the beginning part. But they're, they're good at what they do. They know, and they've been at it a long time. And uh, I was on the ground at that place, um, all ripped up, unable to move. And uh, people were still kicking me, but um, I wasn't even reacting anymore except for moaning, groaning. And so I was all spent emotionally and physically. And I heard my voice say to me, pray to God, and I thought, I don't know how to pray. I don't pray. And the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, um, I prayed when I was a kid, but I don't remember any of that. I can't do that. And mm -hmm. the voice said, pray to God. And I thought, um, what did I pray when I was a child? Sure. And I tried to remember things, and I couldn't remember um, prayers. And I, I could only remember things that I memorized, so I had the Pledge of Allegiance and um, <laughs> wow. the National Anthem and um, Shylock's speech and the Merchant of Venice and uh -huh. Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and, and going no through all right. Yeah, and finally, finally I, I stumbled on a couple bits of the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer and um, trying to remember them, I was murmuring these things and the people around me became very agitated and said to me very crudely, very, very, very obscene way that there was no God, nobody could hear me, and that I had to stop because they were going to um, make things much worse for me if I didn't stop. But along with those threats, I also noticed that praying drove them off. It was as if the prayers um, had a physical force that um, beat them away. Wow. And in a short time, I realized that they weren't present anymore, and the only thing that I could hear was myself. So I stopped, and I listened, and I couldn't hear them. And I knew that they were, I knew they were somewhere, but they were far away because mm -hmm. they couldn't stand the prayers. And, they left me alone in that place, and so for in that world of timeless eternity, I had an opportunity to go over my life, and my conclusion after a very long period of time was that um, whatever I had been living for, I had not been successful as a son to my parents, as a brother to my sisters, as a husband to my wife, as a father to my children, as a teacher to my students. And last but not least, I was not the great artist that I oh. thought. Did you have a life review like others? Well, that, that comes later. Oh, okay. All right. But you just... So, okay. Yeah. I won't So here, here I am, and I'm 
thinking um, that I have somehow gone down the cesspool of the universe and that my life was garbage uh-huh. and now I was the other garbage. Wow. And this was where I was going to be and I couldn't see any limit to it. And they had promised me that it was going to get much worse, that this was just the beginning. Oh, my. And I couldn't crawl. I couldn't move, so there was no nowhere to go. And if I could, I wouldn't know which way to go. And in that despair and self-pity and hopelessness, my memory recalled myself as a child in Sunday school singing Jesus Loves Me. And I recalled as a child really believing that, that there was... A, wonderful person, Jesus, who loved me, and so I um, wanted to um, have the faith that I had as a child, so I called out, Jesus, please save me, and when I did that, um, a tiny light appeared in the darkness, and it got very bright, very fast, and came over me, Mm. and out of this light came hands and arms, and he touched me and restored me back to wholeness and much more importantly he filled me with his love and he picked me up and held me very tight up against him and I was um, being hugged and stroked and loved by him and we started to rise up out of that place and I'm crying out of happiness, joy being filled with his love and were moving faster and faster and eventually I tried to get enough composure to see where we were going and I looked into the direction that we were going and we were going towards a world of light and I knew that I had been such a fool all of my life because I knew that we were going to where God was, we were going towards heaven mm-hmm. and um, I thought to myself, he's made a terrible mistake, I don't belong here. Wow. We stopped moving, and he spoke into my mind the first time. He said, we don't make mistakes. You do belong. <laughs> and I thought, how did he know that? Did he hear what, did he hear what I was thinking? Mm-hmm. And said, I know everything that you're thinking. Wow. Went, oh, that's not good. And he said, I know everything you've ever thought. And I was really embarrassed. Sure. Because I'd had lots of thoughts that I don't, I don't even want to know about. No, I know. We, <laughs> and, all, we all are like that. Yeah. And he laughed. And I was delighted that he laughed because um, turned out he has a wonderful sense of humor and thinks uh, he thought I was really funny. Uh-huh. Uh, and I assume that he thinks we're all pretty funny. Um, and... Uh, which is nice. Sure it is. You know, sure it is. Doesn't probably takes us um, not as seriously as we sometimes take ourselves. Yes. Anyhow, um, he said we we conversed by me thinking and him responding, and then he said he had people he wanted me to meet, and he called a group of what I refer to as angels, my guardian angels, over, and we went through my life in chronological order from my birth to the present time and that started off very fun and then as I became a teenager and a young man it became less mm-hmm. amusing and more painful because I saw how I became more and more um, egotistical mm-hmm. and manipulative right. and um, my whole world was about my self-centeredness and the one thing that they were very interested in is how I had shown or not shown compassion towards other people. Interesting. Wow. When they would skip things that I had accomplished in life, like awards and promotions and successes, Uh they would skip those entirely. And I'd say, wait a minute, you skipped. You skipped the good stuff. Got a big award here. Yeah, and they'd say, oh, that wasn't important. What we really want you to see is how you treated your sister or your wife or your children. right. So it was all um, very educational and very alarming because um, 
it was very clear that what I had been made for, um, I had not done. Mm -hmm. And I had done a lot of things that literally caused Jesus, the angels, and God, because I knew they were God's representatives. So, I mean, I wasn't in front of God, except that Jesus, of course, is God in a sense. But, right. um, I had disappointed them because I had uh, failed uh, my course in life. Mm -hmm. And Jesus asked me if I had any questions, and I said, I've got a million questions. And so um, I proceeded to ask him everything that I could think of to ask him at that time. Everything he answered very carefully, very clearly, including um, audiovisual aids. Like, I don't know if we went to the places or whether he just made me um, see so uh, effectively that it was like we were there. But when we talked about history or uh, we talked about the future, we would, we would go to these places, or it seemed like we went to those places and were part of them. Um, it was very vivid. And then eventually, after that um, question and answer period, I said, I want to go to heaven, because we've talked a lot about heaven. He'd shown me things about heaven. Um, he said, no, you have to go back and live the life that you were created for, because you're not ready to go to heaven. And we had a big argument, and I argued as forcefully as I possibly could. Yes. Um, to go to heaven because I didn't want to come back to this world and he um, very kindly and rationally persuaded me that I had to come back to this world so um, finally I agreed and when I did um, I was back and immediately when I was back the nurse who'd been in the room a half an hour earlier this is now around nine o'clock um, came back to the room and said a doctor has arrived at the hospital and they took my wife out of the room and prepped me for the surgery which I had at 10 o'clock that night. Wow. So that's what happened. Wow. And, and obviously Jesus won and you came back or else you wouldn't be with me today um, what was it like I mean obviously you opened your eyes and you'd come through surgery but coming from being an atheist and having that experience how did you feel I mean what were your that's a, a real scary ride uh, going through the horror and then praying and then being lifted out. So what What did you think when you woke up? I mean... Um, I knew that I was going to have to remake myself. Uh-huh. And that was um, disturbing. And I didn't know what to do because I'm 38 years... I'd spent 38 years building this mm -hmm. person. Right. Now And now I've got to um, re-examine everything. And do a complete remake, but what, where, when, how, um, and, you know, what do you start, you know, what do you start with? And I was very, very sick. The, the surgery was not um, entirely successful, so I was in the hospital many months afterwards. And I came, to, came home to the United States and had more surgery and stuff like that. Wow. So I was an invalid for a long time, and um, was uh, on the critical list for five weeks at the American Hospital on the, you know, really bad shape. Mm -hmm. And during all this time, I'm I'm thinking, I'm praying, um, I'm having lots of um, visits by angels while I'm awake, um, almost daily, and um, trying to tell people about my experience, and nobody believed a word I was saying, and they all told me I was crazy and didn't Hallucinating, happen. right. And, of course, the one that I um, resented the most when people would tell me it was just because of all the drugs I was on. Sure. Uh, because I had begged and begged and begged for 10 hours for drugs, you know, and never gotten any. Right. And um, after I was uh, uh, re 
debilitated enough to walk just barely. I wanted to go to church because I wanted to see what that was like because I didn't, I really didn't know. And so we went to church, and when I went to a local church a mile from my home, uh, the angels were there waiting for me, which I could see, but nobody else could see. So um, I was, I felt that, wow, this is as close to heaven as I'm going to get in this world, which I still believe to this day that churches are uh, preparation. You know, it's and, just 180 degrees what you said and believed at the beginning. When yes, oh my, yeah, you know, just yeah. How how so funny. So I I got very excited about church and um, took new member class and um, got very involved. And after several years, I, I went back to the university um, as a department head and a professor and all that. And I was very um, conflicted between the secular world and the church, mm-hmm. and I was spending more and more time at the church, and less and less interested in um, being an artist or an art professor. And so finally, I decided that um, I was being called into the ministry, and I took a one class at seminary to see if I'd like it, and I loved it. Wow! And so um, I went to seminary for three years and got my uh, master's of divinity so that I could be ordained in the church and congratulations that's huge yeah and then I um, started pastoring full time and um, gave up my position at the university which was really really hard to do because I'd worked so hard to get there and now now to let it go also the um, the the pay scale was a little different uh, <laughs> yeah I made I made one tenth of, right. of what I'm making at the university <laughs> Yeah. My wife was very unhappy. I'm sure. How was the fulfillment level, though? Um, as far it, as... Was too, it was too fulfilling because I, I got... I, I was so um, excited about the church and promoting the faith and um, pastoring people that um, I overdid it you know, the first time. I mean, I was... I was there all the time. Right. Only, basically only home to sleep, change clothes and yes. go back. Yes, 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 And uh, people were telling me that I was overdoing it and that I was going to burn out and stuff like that. And it took, it took almost a year before I figured out that, um, you know, I couldn't do that all the time. No. I had to um, settle down a little bit. So, but fortunately I had uh, good clergy friends who were um, like Dutch uncles who told me you know, go play golf or do something, get out of the church. Right. Yeah, you know, have a drink. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted I wanted so much to be um, a saintly person that sure. I um, was overly um, strict, you know, kind of too zealous. And so um, I the good, good thing about the church is that I... Um, have to relate with real people and not be a sanctimonious, holier-than-thou, you know, person. If you're going to be relatable, and so to um, calm down and be more real, mm-hmm. be more human, people are serving. Oh, so definitely. They, they helped me a lot. They helped me a lot by being um, just realizing I was just another another person trying to do the best they can with what you got. What you got. And that's all about that's all God wants of any of us is just just do our best Don't, can I ask you, know. you something about the near-death experience sure um, you know you hear so many times people with near-death experiences there's a lot of similarities and there's only been a couple that I've heard that there was some real darkness first and not dark yeah. and just dark but you know scary stuff what do you believe that was and why did that show itself first to you? I I believe that when we die uh-huh. we're all going to get what we sought and loved wanted in life so that 
love is attracted to love, and selfishness, godlessness, cruelty is attracted to those things. And so um, I don't like the word um, God punishing us. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that God is supremely just and gives everybody exactly what they really want in their hearts. So it's not a question of how religious you are. It's about how what's really in your heart and what your real um, intentions are, what your real desires are. So um, God gave me um, what I looked for um, deep down inside. And the people that I was with in that darkness were the same kinds of people. Now that my heart is towards God and towards love, towards kindness, that's what I anticipate next time I graduate from this world. You know, you're telling me your story. I had a doctor on who was, he, and he was very honest. He was all about the money. He was all about the big cars, the big house, uh, the big income, and he cared more about his income than he did the patients um, that he served. And in his near-death experience, a little bit different story, but it was the thunder, the darkness, the evil, and then leading to the prayer that pulled him out. And he's made his whole life now about giving, generosity, um, and he did a complete 180. He doesn't have the big house, he doesn't have the big cars, it's all about serving people. And so it's just interesting that you say that because I think all of us, to some degree, you know, we think be compassionate and love thy neighbor and those kind of things. But yeah, there is some greed within us and wants and um, and the egos there. And this life is about me. And it, it's it's just interesting because the degree it sounds like, anyways, the degree to which you let that run your life is going to be what you get um, when you open your eyes first time in the hereafter. Um, Does that sound about right? But then, yeah, yeah, but then the gift of prayer, the gift of knowing there is a God in Jesus and that you, you were literally shown the light, you know, by having the little dot of light uh, get bigger and bigger and being pulled towards that so no matter how we're living now um, you can change in an instant right yes absolutely um oftentimes people have asked me well how can i know that god is real how can i have mm-hmm. an experience like you had how can i um for the love of god and i said ask him <laughs> it's not just to ask um, but it's got to be sincere. I mean, if you if you were to um, ask God glibly uh, for something, God's going to respond glibly, like, yeah, right, <laughs> whatever, you know. But if a person asks from the um, core of their being, and unfortunately a lot of times it takes desperation. Sure. Uh, crisis to get people to make that um big change um, God God's going to respond and um, you know it, it's not that difficult to uh, and and God doesn't expect us to go from um, you know a terrible sinner to a wonderful saint overnight I mean it's it's all process and God will help us with the process um, as a pastor I never knew what to do although I'd gone to seminary and been trained right you don't, you don't know what to say or what to do. Um, so constantly asking God for help. I mean, when I say constantly, I mean all the time. You know, walking into a um, nursing home room to visit a 90-year-old dying person. What are you going to say to him? You know, hey, how was your day? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, go, you go in there like, please, God, help me, you know, be a comfort to this person. Give me something to say, you know. Um, give me the patience to really um, understand what they're going through. 
um, that becoming becoming dependent upon the help of God is a really great benefit of being a pastor because with, without the um, help of God, you have nothing to contribute to anything else. So you, so you, and you're sharing that all of us can have a like a working relationship with God, having a you know it's so so easy so many times to just feel alone mm -hmm. and then you know i even forget my own advice to people that we have this invisible army of uh loved ones walking with our with us that's what i believe anyways um yes but just to open up that communication and just trust and have faith that we're not alone and to make that right. a daily part of our even some of the smallest things you know, give me the and, strength. And us, yeah, and to help us understand um, what we're doing and why we're doing it. For example, I have a wonderful wife, but sometimes we have disagreements. Mm -hmm. And there have been times when um, she's hurt my feelings and I've hurt her feelings. And I have to ask God, what's, what's going wrong? I love her. She loves me. We want we want a great relationship. And we're not talking to each other. So we're very angry. Right. Why? Why? You know? And uh, God gives me insight into, um, you know, the stupid, dumb things that I've done and how to make them better and how to appreciate her more. Even when she's done dumb, stupid things to me, to, um, that's not the issue. It's like, um, how can we remedy the situation and reestablish the good relationship that we both want to have? Wow. Can I? Um, yeah. I have a deep question. Um, yeah. What do you think the purpose is of us being here on Earth and life? Is that too deep? No. Um, well, the, uh, the the simple answer is to glorify God, but to what that really means is that um, God created us for a purpose, and the purpose is to um, love God with everything we've got and to love one another as we love ourselves. So this. The, the three things, love of God, love of neighbor, love of self, are totally interconnected, and you can't do any of them effectively without all three of those being in harmony. For example, you cannot love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. But why should you love yourself since we're all flawed human beings and we can look at ourselves critically and mm -hmm. see how undeserving of love we are, but when we know the love of God, when we have a relationship with God, we know that in spite of our faults, which we were made to be flawed beings, I mean, we were not, if God wanted to make us perfect, he could have made us perfect. We made us flawed beings so that we could learn and have free will and grow. Mm -hmm. And so that with God's love and forgiveness, we can um, sense no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what the circumstances, we are very much loved by God. And when we have that love, that love pours out of us into a love for um, other children of God. And so we want to share that love so that the cycle just constantly um, reinforces itself because as we love other people, and then that love sometimes is reciprocated, sometimes not, um, we feel um, reinforced in our love of ourselves and in our uh, love of our neighbor and our love of God, and um, it just builds and builds, so we become um, more and more loving people. That's beautiful. And now that I've been to your website, um, and I want to share this, and you probably feel the same way, that sometimes you hear a piece of music and it just gives you goosebumps and you yes. feel like it's I mean and I've heard some pieces of music that just are yeah they're okay but then there's some that just really resonate and I've also yes. seen paintings and yeah some are good but then there's others that kind of speak to your soul and when I was looking on your web page you're somehow tapped in and, and the best way I can put this is to some maybe it's your divinity or connected with the love of God yourself and thy neighbor and and it's coming out in your painting can you talk a little bit Thank about you. that you're on to something because yes. it's they're beautiful yeah. well thank you I um 
the, the paintings that are on the website are um, in the last few years because what I after my near-death experience, I, I only did a few paintings and was um, so involved with ministry, right. going to seminary and ministry, that I, for a long time, didn't paint at all. And then um, I realized that I really love to paint, and it gives me not only great pleasure, but it also is a way to connect with God. Painting, painting is um, a way that I pray, and it's my way of communicating with God. And so um, I thought, well, what, where do I experience God in this world um, that I can, that I could, you know, um, recreate with paint on canvas? And it was like looking at a um, sunrise or a sunset, looking looking at the clouds, looking at the trees. That's um, that's a, a really big way that I um, experience God, and God experiences me. And so um, I tried to capture those very, very mundane. I mean, you know, it's not too original to say that, you know, I find God in a sunset, you right, know, but right. so I, a lot of my paintings are sunsets and a lot of them are clouds in the sky and things like that, um, light in a forest, you know, um, and, and that's where I seek God. Now people ask me if like I'm having lots of supernatural experiences and I say, yeah, um, Playing with my dog, being with my grandsons, looking at you know, sitting by a lake, looking at the sky. Yeah, that's those are my big supernatural experiences. <laughs> Do you still see the angels? Sometimes, but not like it was earlier. I, it's possible, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when you needed them the most, and you needed to know it was all true, is when you got to see them and you got that reinforcement exactly that's exactly it and now you have the faith so it's you know they're there but you know you don't need them to be uh they don't need to be seen or something like that oh howard this is um really fantastic and our time is coming to an end unfortunately but i just want you to look in your heart if if there's any message or any thoughts there might be somebody listening right now that's oh grieving the loss of a loved one um misses them dearly or is looking for just maybe a little bit of meaning in their life do you have a anything you want to share just to maybe brighten all of our days yes the mysteries of life are um overwhelmingly um, difficult challenges, but there has been a belief um, for longer than there was human history um, that there is a loving God being um, consciousness behind it all that wants to connect with us, that created us for a purpose and the purpose is to love, and that has been um, explored and talked about in many religions, but I think most clearly and most um, conclusively in the Judeo-Christian tradition that God loves us and wants us to be with God forever, and that it's not that hard to access, and that we can do that on our own, and we certainly find help and ways to do that through um, church right and so people people if you if you want something more than what this world has to offer um, if you want to find a way into the mysteries of life that produce um, incredibly satisfying answers um, seek God and ye shall find that one of the incredible statements of Jesus was um, that if you ask for it if you seek it, if you knock on the door um, you'll be given all these things and he was talking about um, spiritual gifts, not material things Right. so um, if we ask God for love if we ask God for faith, if we ask God for hope if we ask God for answers um, we're going to receive them and it's just and he, um, it's 
it's a hundred percent sure thing if you do it sincerely. Mm-hmm. And that's really refreshing because I think a lot of times we do feel alone. Um, we often feel that there's no hope and coming from somebody who was an atheist, I think you're speaking to a lot of people that may have doubts and may have a skeptical mind. And even so, you don't have to have a near-death experience. You can just take a risk and practice love, uh, practice prayer, trust there's someone by your side who's listening, and and really be open for the miraculous. I've heard so many stories, yep. Howard, of people, uh, as, as some of different faiths, but who had started praying, and their life just started to work out. And I've heard s- miraculous stories. And so it doesn't cost anything <laughs> to just no. turn within and, and have that faith. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I... I really enjoyed chatting with you today and um, and to our listener, thank you for spending the past almost an hour uh, with Howard Storm and I. Uh, I want to remind our listener that if you go to wedontdieradio.com, I have a very handsome picture of Howard put there. And thank then, you. And then I also, and you are handsome and your wife's beautiful too. Um, but I have your website, howardstorm.com. There's a link to that. And then you also have a, an in-depth, uh, in-depth article about your near-death experience. And I'll put that link in there as well. So in conclusion, I do believe that our life is an education for the soul. And that each one of us, our lives here on earth, is important and just really taking forward today what Howard said to us is let's live today with love love of God love of thy neighbor and love of thyself trust that we have this invisible force that's with us and ready to help if we ask and not to scare us but to inspire us to be the best person we can be and maybe tone down a little of the ego mind or the the greediness or the selfishness and and put more of our attention on love. So this is Sandra Champlain. I've been your host. Today you can uh, learn more about Howard Storm and all of our past guests at wedontdieradio.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.